0: Our first industry update for the morning is one that's pretty hard to avoid. It's been a crazy few weeks for the broader social media, free speech and censorship set of conversations that we seem to be having uh, just endlessly. There's always a fresh take to add to the pile. And there's some new material to work with here after the banning of President Trump's Twitter account and various other social media accounts, as well as the removal of social media app Parler from the Google Play and Apple App Stores, as well as uh, removal from the uh, AWS infrastructure. And the heat now continues for messaging apps. So here's some reporting out of Washington Post. The nonprofit Coalition for a Safer Web just recently filed a lawsuit against Apple asking the company to ban Telegram, which is a messaging app, uh, from the App Store. And the reason for the ban would be for its hosting of extremists on its platform, Uh, Telegram is similar to other messaging uh, platforms like Line, like uh, Signal, it's basically an encrypted messaging app. So uh, most of the communication on the platform happens over direct messages to individuals or small groups. However, the app also offers channels and public groups to build community. And so these channels and um, public communities have become a a fresh place of refuge for several uh, white supremacist extremists as apps like Parler and. Have been shut down, so a lot of QAnon conspiracy content has now been showing up on Telegram. Uh, very vocal uh, far right groups, uh, you know, are just organizing on there, uh, either communicating about uh, violence during the inauguration. Or, uh, you know, spouting hateful content before the lawsuit, Telegram had actually already made some moves to remove these channels. They banned at least 15 extremist communities in the last week or so. Some of these communities, uh, including one that was labeling itself as eco-fascist, had been active since June. So it's not like it was a completely fresh issue either. There had already been some of this activity for several months. Uh, however, uh, some other reporting shows that the scale of the extremist content on the uh, messaging app may be a bit overstated. Uh, if we look at just Telegram. Uh, It recently announced passing 500 million monthly users, 25 million of which had joined in the span of three days. However, the vast majority of that influx was uh, Asian, European and Latin American users, not U.S.-based users. Um, CNBC recently hosted Christopher Wiley. He was the Cambridge Analytica whistleblower and an early example of a banned Facebook user. Um, We're going to go ahead and source a quick bite from him, giving some more context on the urgency of the situation in his opinion, in his view, and how he thinks uh, we should go about regulating these apps and messaging platforms to diminish the amount of extremist content on there. After this, Tyler, uh, we'll get into our quick takes and i'll pose some key questions i think we should be asking ourselves
1: this really gets to a a really important point which is that we really need to bring um silicon valley and these these digital platforms into the norms of regulation that we see in other technical sectors so what i mean by that is when you look at you know standard practice in other sectors uh, testing of behaviors of new technical innovations is often a requirement prior to release into the public. And so when we look at the, you know, longstanding uh, behavior of some of these algorithms to disproportionately preference disinformation, hate speech, et cetera, this should have been caught in some kind of due diligence process by these platforms. And so I think when we, when we sort of ask the question, you know, how can we you know, regulate a, a technical sector? Um, we, we do it all the time. Uh, and so just because it's, you know, at scale, and it's in, in real time, that doesn't give, you know, these companies a pass to say, well, you know, it's complicated, so we'll just leave it there. I mean, imagine if we let Above any other what's... technical sector, you know, use that excuse, we wouldn't accept it. All right, so Tyler, there's a lot
0: going on here. Uh, You know, various kinds of conversations we can have, Uh, but the main thing that I want to focus on is what should we be doing about this kind of content, and what should we be expecting of these companies as private entities, and what sort of broader conversation should we be having about? Um, these online platforms, which in many ways have become the uh, public forum for all conversation, uh, how we should be interacting with them and treating them in the broader landscape of free speech and censorship conversations. So before I get to some of my key questions, I want to ask, what are your takeaways here, especially with uh, Christopher Wiley's um, thoughts on regulating the companies and making them uh, at least fall into a bare minimum level of regulation as other uh, technology companies in their similar sphere?
2: It's a tricky conversation to me because y- you feel like you end up talking yourself in circles to a certain extent. Anytime I have these these kinds of, of conversations, and I guess at the heart of it is that um, the more wild and outlandish and um, and uh, maybe untrue certain statements are, the more traction they get on these platforms because of algorithms and because this whole thing works, uh, the, the way this whole thing works. So the more interaction that you get with a post or you know something that you say or something flagrant that's out there, uh, the more that it's going to uh, get generated into people's feeds, right? That's kind of just how the whole thing works. And anytime people are people are the content that are making up a, uh, a particular platform, a website, like any kind of social media, you end up with, you end up understanding, I, I suppose, like all the different views that are out there and it's the most extreme ones that are going to get amplified. And so it's a, it's a tricky place to be and it's a tricky conversation to have, I guess, not because of any kind of First Amendment thing that I think exists in this realm, but simply because I, I think that... That's that's kind of the way that social media works, and social media in and of itself is somewhat broken in that regard.
0: Now, here are some of my other key points for this story. Um, basically, my head takes me to various different places. One of them is if the concern for the um, the extremist groups that are being uh, targeted here, if the concern for them is that oh, we need a place for private communication outside of the realms of, you know, uh, evil Silicon Valley, I think it's unlikely that they're ever going to have that ability ever again, other than like holding up in a literal basement and, and speaking in person because messaging apps already have a history of being open with their data after promising to not be. For example, WhatsApp. One of the uh, most popular encrypted messaging platforms uh, is now a Facebook company, and they recently announced that they would update their policies in terms of service to allow sharing of WhatsApp data with Facebook. So that, uh, you know, wall between Facebook and WhatsApp is now gone and. Since most, if not all, of these apps are centralized around core servers under the discretion of their company, rules around data privacy can change at literally any time. There is not um, a sort of checks and balance there. If WhatsApp decides tomorrow that every single message that you communicate on that platform is going to be fed to Facebook, they can do that. And there's nothing that you, the end user, can do about it. So, um You know, I I think we're going to continue to see these groups hop around from platform to platform to try to find the most secure place to, um, you know, have their conversations and to, uh, you know, put their divisive content out but i don't think that they're actually going to find that haven anywhere also because the spotlight is just really shining on them now and so there's really you know nowhere to run anymore um i think we should also be cautious as we talk about this um for that very reason about banning entire platforms over a a single use case right so if we look at telegram uh it had been hosting this content for a while. Um, like we had mentioned, since June, there had already been active far-right channels on there that were uh, you know, putting out content and language that would have been grounds to remove them um, uh, based on the uh, platform's terms and services. But are we really willing to ban Any app from the app store that has hosted extremist content or used its algorithms to boost and profit off of said content, because if the answer is yes, if Telegram has done enough to host this content that it deserves to be pulled off of the app store completely, which is the whole point of why we're having this conversation uh, with the lawsuit against Apple, uh, that would mean practically every social media app and messaging app imaginable would be removed because basically every single one of those platforms has profited in a major way by keeping this content active uh, until there is some pressure to do the opposite. Uh, And if we start banning whole platforms, which ones are the ones that get targeted and, and why? You know, why Telegram and why not pulling YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and all of them off until... You know, we figure out what's going on, right? Um, that is, I think, a key question for me because it seems like we have standards we're applying in one place, but we aren't applying in another. And I'm not saying that the answer is let's keep all of the content up because, oh, well, they all messed up, so we can't do anything about it. But I mean, if the answer is, well, we just need to pull literally all of these platforms off and do like a radical restructuring of their algorithms and everything, I mean, hey, I- <laughs> Maybe, you know, maybe that is the answer. You banned literally everything. Take a second and then, uh, you know, relaunch with a uh, different vision for how to engage with this content. How realistic is that? You know, probably not very realistic, but I'm just posing some hypotheticals here. Um, Also, a major reason why we see bans of this kind of content is because of a certain violence metric, right? Um, The concept that you can't scream fire in a crowded movie theater. That's sort of the the metric used for, okay, well, if you're inciting violence as a member of ISIS or as a uh, domestic terrorist on our platform, then we're going to have to remove you. Uh, but my question lands on what counts as inciting violence. Uh, and is it you know, uh, the promoting of violence that gets you removed? Is it if you are very directly scheming to perform violence and using the platform as an organizational tool? And I think those barriers are not very clear because I've seen plenty of accounts suspended on Twitter uh, over my years on the platform because of some tweet that was like a joke, but said something like, I'm going to beat the, you know, heck out of XYZ person, haha, or something, right? And then that person gets banned. It's because you were inciting violence. So if that is the case, if it's a really loose definition of violence, there's a lot of very violent rhetoric that comes from official platforms, um, including, um, you know, a lot of foreign policy that gets passed off as just, this is casual, you know, this is sort of the way the world operates, but is actually very vicious, very, uh, violent and in, you know, it results in the deaths of many people, um, led by, you know, U S policy officials, uh, European policy officials and and that content doesn't get removed, you know, it's not necessarily saying we're so excited to like slaughter XYZ people, but it does have a lot of violent context and subtext, and that stuff is just seen as like, oh yeah, these are official comms, this stays up, there's no problem here, right? So it might seem like I'm drawing slightly different parallels here, but I think just the definition of what is violence and how do we remove violent content isn't really clear. uh, And in a lot of ways allows for really overt violence on the platform. I I think there's just a disconnect there that we need to be talking about. Uh, And then my last main point here, Tyler, this is kind of the biggie. But do we want these private companies deciding how the platforms which have become bedrocks of community and communication for society, basically? Do we want the private entities deciding how they're used. And what accountability does a Facebook or a Twitter or an Apple or a Telegram or a Signal or whoever have when they start banning whatever they see fit, especially if they've faced little repercussions on the other side of the pendulum, right? They're just now facing like really strong pushback for uh, not banning. Uh, you know, X, Y, Z number of extremist uh, characters and content from their platforms. Uh, so, will we expect that same pushback if they start, you know, over banning or they start banning things that we would seem as, oh, wait, no, you don't have the power to do that, or we don't want you to have the power to do that, right? What happens when the floodgates open? How do you reel it back in? And you know, I think it's fair to uh, demand at a surface level that. Uh, These companies be treated with similar sets of regulations that are already part of our day-to-day society and even that they enforce their basic terms of service that, you know, if they say they're going to remove someone from their platform for X, Y, Z reason, then they should actually do that um, and, you know, not try to draw distinctions based on, um, you know, who is and isn't uh, going to have the most backlash um, by banning them from the platform. However, I think we also need to think about how private these companies really are. And I think this gives us a better framework for understanding how to engage with the issue and how much the business community should have a a stake in uh, running the solution for this issue because we assume the distinction is that since Twitter is not a nationalized entity or run by the federal government, that it has its own set of rules and therefore autonomy to run the platform however it sees fit. We're a free market capitalist economy. Uh, therefore, private corporations have their you know own standards, and therefore a company can choose who to sell to and who to provide its services to. Uh, and you know, that's just the way the world works, and therefore we should be encouraging that for um, you know, how these platforms engage with extremist content. But I think that we might have a slight misunderstanding of just how separated these entities are, Uh, because if we look at, for example, NSA leaks um, that were, you know, big from Edward Snowden um, in, you know, a little less than 10 years ago it shows how a lot of our data that we consider private is actually not private uh, and is being fed to broader government agencies. So, you know, if the critique now is well, then we should be demanding that both the companies and the government let the people have more say over day-to-day use of these platforms Then I think is uh, us getting closer to a um, more long-term solution. So the reason why I bring up those NSA leaks is because uh, the PRISM program was part of those leaks, and the PRISM program, a uh, clothing And the PRISM program, according to the ACLU, is, quote, a surveillance program under which the NSA, FBI, and CIA gather and search through Americans' international emails, internet calls, and chats without obtaining a warrant. In 2013, the program included at least nine major internet companies, including Facebook, Google, Apple, and Skype, end quote. This is uh, on the same PRISM program from a Guardian report, quote, Companies are legally obliged to comply with requests for users' communication under U.S. law, but the PRISM program allows the intelligence services direct access to the company's servers. The NSA document notes the operations have assistance of communications providers in the U.S., end quote. So if the federal government and the broader security state already has carte blanche use of data from these tech companies and platforms— and uh, full discretion to use the data however they want to uh, police or to spy or to have oversight over day-to-day lives of uh, Americans, then in my opinion, I think it becomes clear that at every level, the end users... Or you know the citizens, if we want to <laughs> impart language that maybe maximizes how important these platforms are to day to day, the users, the citizens, they have no say in how the platforms are developed, used, and moderated. Uh, neither from the government uh, nor the companies themselves. So asking uh, the you know the government to regulate these platforms in a lot of ways, is still several steps removed from the actual end users deciding how the platforms best represent the user's needs. So, uh, you know, if we encourage actively that these entities ban content that we find uncouth, what happens when that lens gets Uh, gets pointed, excuse me, at other conversations that are considered outside the realm of normalcy. Uh, And, you know, I think the business community at large should be pushing for and finding solutions for how these platforms can get closer to a decentralized, user-moderated, democratic approach to making the platforms equitable and less toxic. And uh, that might sound antithetical to uh, a Company like Twitter or Facebook making profits if it's um, you know slightly more democratic or decentralized, but I think the weight of these platforms shouldn't be understated. And if we're not going to be getting any insight into the algorithms on the back end, if we're not going to be getting any say in who gets banned and why, and if the argument is either um, you know we need to hand the reins over to our intelligence agencies to moderate these platforms or have private uh, entities within the companies moderate these platforms, uh, then we're kind of in between a rock and a hard place. And, uh, you know, I think it's to everyone's benefit if these platforms are uh, are run and moderated in a way that is more user centric. What that looks like, you know, I I definitely am not sure. I'm not the expert on that front, uh, but I can pose the questions, and I think those are the key takeaways that we need to be thinking about as we frame this issue.